Get to the church blind! Get to the church blind! Go! Now! I'm Pete Mitchell, and he's Peyton Jones, and you're listening to Hardcore Church Planning, the companion podcast for the Church Planner Podcast and Church Planner Magazine. Each week, we'll bring you interviews from planners who are in the trenches making it happen right now. These active church planners bear it all, share their successes, their failures, and what they'd wish they'd known when they were first starting out. Listen in to discover how God is working in their church plan. Have you ever had to prep a sermon and you just looked at your bookshelf and you didn't have enough of what you needed? Well, you don't have to do that. Go to Logos.com. Logos Bible Software has everything that you need at pretty much at your fingertips because you're literally typing stuff in and with the click of a mouse button, you can open the entire C.H. Spurgeon Library. You can look up original languages, word studies. I mean, this thing is like the Lollapalooza of church planning information. You can have a little mini concert in your sermon prep right there. All the greats kind of gathered around and picking their brains and putting them into your sermon. And you want to check out LogosBibleSoftware.com. They'll actually make you look smarter than you actually are. Hey, Church Planner, welcome to Hardcore Church Planning, and this is your host, Peyton Jones, and I have with me today a guest by the name of Jeff Robinson. He is one of the editors, or actually the senior editor for Gospel Coalition. He is from Blairsville, Georgia. He has a bachelor's degree in journalism, hence the writing, and a master of divinity in biblical and theological studies, if I can say it. You you had to take it, but I, I have to say it. And a PhD in historical theology. So um, this is really cool stuff, man. I mean, you, you know, you're a pretty well-rounded guy. My guest is Jeff Robinson. Welcome on to the show. Good to be here, Peyton. Uh, my my pleasure. Uh, great to be a guest here. Yeah, I think I'm just confused about who I want to be when I grew up. I think that's all those things say about me. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great, man. I, it shows that you have a lust for life and a, um, you probably want to do it all. And I, I definitely share that same madness. So, um, Jeff, you've written a book, 15 things they didn't teach me in seminary. And I would, I would even say, you know, there's probably things that they can't really teach you certain things that, that have to be, um, maybe experienced or learned on the ground. Tell us a little bit about what the book is about. Well, I think one of the, the key word in our title is couldn't, is that little contraction couldn't. Uh, our book is by no means intended as uh, some sort of broadside against seminary or really even a critique of, of seminary education. Uh, I cherish my time in seminary. Obviously, I was there for a long time, as you just read <laughs> read off to the uh, to, to listeners, uh, and also served an adjunct professor uh, at my alma mater, Southern Seminary, here in Louisville, where I live. Uh, and I pastor a church that is absolutely brimming with theology students from uh, the seminary and the Bible college. So, uh, you know, this was not intended to be a critique at all. Again, the, the key is the contraction couldn't. Uh, I, I think seminary is a must for every minister who's able to attend, but it never promises to make one a pastor. It, it, I mean, so there's not a sense in which we're seeking to correct what seminary has or has not taught. Uh, so uh, there are many, many biblical, fa- biblically faithful seminaries that provide necessary tools for ministry. The local church simply cannot. So what we're saying here really is both and and not either or. 
but I think what what I see and what Colin sees in our uh, in our travels and uh, even in my own church to some degree, in my own my own life, my own ministry, I've seen to some degree is the notion that seminary does prepare you fully uh, to be a pastor. And, uh, you know, seminary can't fully prepare you to be a pastor any more than basic training can fully prepare you for war. It's just not possible. And I, and I think those are that's a good analogy. You really learn how to be a soldier, to be a warrior on the battlefield uh, by, by, by fighting and hearing the grenades explode around you and the mortars flying over your head and watching the, the air support come in. It's the same way in ministry. And so really, that's what we're trying to say. We're, we're, we're just trying to, to uh, again, not correct anything so much as say, uh, let's not think that this is all we need, that uh, we go, we get uh, these freshly minute degrees, and there, uh, henceforth, we're a pastor. Yeah, that really no, just comes that. the time of the trenches. Yeah, I love that. And and what, what I find really cool is you've got a series of videos um, to promote the book that are, you know, Tim Keller and uh, different different speakers, different pastors, ministers. And, you know, they, they're they in the book. I mean, they share in the book, you know. Uh, tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about, you know, the cameos in the book here. Yeah, uh, this is a multi-author work. What, what we try to do in terms of the book, it's the book, is to pair the chapter, uh, the chapter themes with men who were fit to write them, who had been through a particular thing and learned a particular lesson. Uh, because... I think uh, one thing you quickly learn in, 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 in uh, pastoral ministry is that you're always going to be a student. Uh, and uh, the, the videos support that. You know, men like John Piper uh, and, and Tim Keller, Don Carson, and others who've been in ministry for decades and, and uh, remind us that uh, they've never arrived fully, that they're still learning. That seminary uh, was uh, perhaps a starting point, but they're continuing to learn and grow in their their knowledge of the things of God and their uh, knowledge of their own hearts, their own strengths and own weaknesses, their uh, ability to minister and knowledge of the local church. And so, you know, w- what's funny about this is when Colin Hansen and I, our editorial director, who's the co-editor of the book with me, we first conceived this about four years ago when I was uh, in a very uh, difficult situa- pastoral uh, situation, uh, theater, if you want to call it that, to kind of keep with our war theme. Uh, in, uh, in, in, uh, in, in Alabama where Colin lived and we'd become good friends and we were discussing the potential, uh, the possibility of becoming to work for the Gospel Coalition. And this is a book we conceived. I said, well, I, I, we were told what, you know, what kinds of books we could write. And I said, well, I can tell you, I can write a book about maybe 50 things seminated and couldn't teach me. And so a few years later, we were conceiving that when I, after I'd become an editor and staff member at TGC. And my initial list, Colin said, write down everything you think uh, the seminary couldn't teach you. And I think I stopped at 45 things. So, um, so this is the condensed version. So one day we'll, we'll have the complete. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's right. Well, and, and Piper and the, the videos are accentuating this. We have some articles coming out that will, uh, by other, by pastors also in the, in the days ahead and the months ahead to, to support the book that will give uh, other lessons because 15, that's just kind of, a, we're kind of scratching the surface, I think. Right, right. Well, you know, it's fantastic because I think a lot of guys think um, two, two, you got two camps. One is, hey, I, I'm in seminary. I'm ready to take it on. You know, come on, world. Wait till you get a load of me. And then you got the other guys that are sitting there going, I didn't have a seminary. I, I, I feel like I'm missing out because I didn't get to go. And, you know, I've, mm-hmm. obviously we've got people in both camps. But this book kind of, it really scratches an itch that I think all of a sudden you, mm-hmm. you hit real life 
Um, and, and it's, you know, when you, when you actually have to start dealing with people, it gets a little bit, uh, uh, you know, gets a, it gets real. And in the, in the book, you've got a quote from Phil Newton. He says, a seminarian's dream of smooth pastoral sailing is a mirage. Shepherding involves dealing with sheep. Sheep are messy. And the shepherd is not the sweetest smelling fellow on the hillside either. So you, you know, right away you've got, you know, people get out of seminary and they have to start dealing with people problems. They have to deal with themselves. They have to deal with the, the pressure of, um, you know, uh, you know, leading their family and the church. And, and sometimes some of these guys have to make a living punching in a time clock somewhere on top of, of bivocational mm-hmm. ministry, you know? So, um, what were some of the things in writing the book that were the most surprising to hear you, hear some of these leaders say? Well, I, I don't know that any of it was a surprise, honestly, because there's so much to learn and so many, there's so many parts, uh, to, uh, so many moving parts within pastoral, lo- local church ministry of any kind, whether you're a pastor, you're a, uh, you're a staff member, you're a youth pastor, you're a music minister. If you do it, uh, done, done biblically, I think there's, you're, you're always going to be learning. Um, I think, uh, I, I think the, the danger, and I think each of these writers, uh, in one way or another, touch this. Uh, Paul, what Paul David Tripp calls uh, big theological brains and heart disease. Because here's what happens in seminary. You become equipped with kind of this mental encyclopedia of cut and dried answers to very acute, complex questions that are not cut and dried in your church. Mm. Uh, your church runs out of money. Uh, a leading member is caught living a secret life of sexual immorality. One of your teams claims he was raped by another team while on a church youth trip. Or maybe a, a two-month-old baby dies a crib death and the first night his grandmother kept him. Or mm. a tornado outbreak chews up half of your community. Those things I just described literally happened in my first year of a full-time pastorate. Oh, wow. All of them. All of those things. And I don't, I don't think that's exceptional. And so I think... I think uh, I think every pastor in his first full time ministry is surprised by how many things uh, he's going to face and how ill equipped he is for all those things. No matter how much seminary training he has, I mean, real because real life ministry requires wise nuance and application of, of Bible theology. You can know it, but you've got to be able to apply the Bible and theology. Uh, and it requires an others focused relational savvy that that few of us are really equipped with. We have to gain that over time. Uh, and, and you just face so many challenges, which you, you know, this as well as I do, that there, for which there are no cut and dried answers. Uh, these things that require careful, patient wise, again, nuanced application of God's word. Uh, and we love these truths of, of, of theology. They're, they're true. They're glorious or intellectually satisfying, but still we have to learn how they interface and intersect with people. And, uh, I think every chapter in one way or another, it may not say that directly, but I think you can glean that from all the all the chapters that uh, you just playing off of uh, uh, Phil's quote. There, you you have to uh, come to grips with people and not just ideas. And seminaries about ideas, and I love ideas, and many of us do. But you have to you, those ideas have to land on the ground and uh, and help hurting people. Right, right. I mean. This this is one of your quotes from what you wrote in the book. It says, sure, my theological knowledge positions me to make wise decisions and enables me to feed the flock with healthy grass. But the maturity needed to be a godly under-shepherd 
comes only through days, weeks, months, and years of labor in the vineyard of the Lord. It didn't take long for me to realize that I am a man in the middle of his sanctification, just like the people who listen to me preach every Lord's day. I love that, Jeff, because it, it, you know, it kind of takes some of the pressure off. Like everything that you mentioned in your first year of pastorate, that puts an immense burden. Like the guy listening out there, you know, he might have just weed himself a little, you know. Um, mm-hmm. You might have thought, oh, <laughs> man, you know, mommy, you know, tapping <laughs> uncle right now. That's but, kind of the point. <laughs> That's right. But but I love no, but I I love I love that you, you you're you're pointing out. Look, we're on a journey. I I love that you're like, hey, give yourself days, weeks, months, and years of labor to get this right. Um, t- talk to us a little bit about the journey and and how a leader can kind of be more patient because obviously when a when a baby dies in a in a cot death, you want to get that right. You want to get everything right. How did you kind of navigate all of that as a as a young man pastoring? Well, I think uh, I think James, uh, the book of James, James has good advice when it comes to talking because uh, there's a sense in which as as a preacher or as a professor, which I I, I do sometimes as well, you're a paid talker. But uh, as as Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, there's a time to listen and a time to talk, <laughs> and mm. and often in pastoral ministry, you you need to listen. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really good at talking again. I get paid to do that. And I've been talking, you know, I learned to talk in like four months and much to my parents discussed, talked, you know, <laughs> I haven't stopped since, uh, hardly, but, uh, but I, I think you have to realize that you just being there, your presence with people. Uh, in, in fact, the particular incident you're, you're mentioning, I had, uh, had a church member, uh, a grandmother, a dear, dear woman, of the Lord who kept her, her grandson for the first time. And he died crib death at her house. And so I found myself on the Lord's Day. I had to preach that morning, but it's about 4.30 a.m. Got the call and went over there. And I didn't know what to say. And that was fine. Because later she said, you didn't really say anything. You just were there for us. You loved us. You prayed with us. And uh, because, I mean, I already taught them about God's sovereignty. I taught them about life in a fallen world and how uh, these things aren't uh, terribly uh, surprising. Uh, tragedies like these, as hurtful as they are. And so she knew all that. But she simply needed someone to be there and to love her. And again, you only you only get that by being in the trenches and experiencing that. But I, I often realized I don't really have the answers here. I mean, the Bible has the answers. I've taught you the Bible, but you just really need my presence. You need me to be your shepherd. You need me to be here and, and love you. And, and, and I think another thing is uh, Mark 4. It's a text that's become really precious to me. Mark 4, uh, toward the end of the chapter where Jesus tells uh, the uh, the parable of the seed, the, the seed that's planted in the ground. Uh, and the farmer goes to bed and he says, he goes to bed and sleeps. He plants the seed. He goes to bed and sleeps and it grows and he knows not how. And and I think what he's trying to tell us there is God does the work. God mm-hmm. changes the heart. All the talking and the convincing of the world cannot change a single heart or comfort a single person unless God, uh, God gives the increase and unless God enables it by his spirit. And so, I think just learning those things over time, uh, again, but they took time. And, and also realizing that, that change doesn't come overnight. The seed doesn't grow uh, overnight. I mean, it, it takes time. I mean, a corn, uh, I grew up on a farm, and we'd plant corn in like April, and then we'd harvest it in maybe October, May, October, something like that. So it just, it just takes time. Uh, you don't have all the answers. Uh, sometimes it's just your presence to be there. Uh, I think I help people more. 
not so much in what I said always, but just being there for them and caring for them. At least that was the, the feedback I got from my people there and this grandmother in particular. And again, that's just something that you have to learn, just like in war, you have to learn in the trenches of, uh, of local church ministry. That's good. I want to ask a question that I think will be pertinent to everybody because, you know, it's kind of like when Jesus said, hey, flesh and blood doesn't reveal these things to you. There are things where we really need um, to be close to the Lord and to be in fellowship with him or there's no way it's it's. <laughs> I mean, you can fake it till you make it. You can, you know, I just, I just don't see how you can be in ministry, you know, and not where if it becomes a job, you're, you know, you're, you're up the creek, right? Um, but if you really want to grow personally, you have to stay in communion with, with the God that you're serving. Um, what were some ways that for you that you kept grounded? in Christ as you were um, ministering. And, you know, I, I know the book deals. Have, I mean, I, I know that there's tons. I mean, I, I could rattle off a, a, a few lines here out of the book um, that deal with this. Um, but th- it seemed like a lot of the authors kept coming back to this, like the heart of ministry. And that's so mm-hmm. refreshing. It wasn't the five silver bullets to make your, you know, mm-hmm. it was, Hey, no, this is the heart of it. Um, what were some things just personally, I know this is a book with, you know, various authors, but what were some things for you, Jeff, that personally helped you kind of keep growing as a minister? Well, I think, uh, Charles Spurgeon put it well, uh, and, and one of his many Spurgeon, of course, is infinitely quotable. Uh, but he said, what your church needs more than anything else is your holiness. Uh, and, and I think that's true. And uh, I, I have just tried to strive to be in God's word and deep in prayer every day, both for myself, for my own sanctification, also for my family, also for my people. Uh, and, and I realized that I was a man. I mean, the qualifications in First Timothy 3 and Titus 1 have very little to do and a little to say about my ability to, to exegete the text and uh, to to communicate clearly, though those things are very important, uh, crucially important. They have more to do with uh, my qualifications as a man, as a, a man of God. And so the only way I was able to survive uh, through some of these instances was really just my own devotional life uh, and realizing that it's every single day. Uh, I think I told you we were uh, before we started the, the podcast, I'm a baseball fan. One, one thing I love about Major League Baseball is you have to play every single day. And it mimics life in that way. You have to go out there and you got to get over yesterday's defeat and get ready for the game today. And I think that's kind of the way it is in, in, the, in, in the Christian life. I mean, it's no different than the average Christian, I don't think. I think that in that way, we're very similar. Those qualifications for, uh, for the eldership are common to all Christians or should be, except for being able to teach, perhaps. Uh, but, but I think it's just staying grounded in the Word of God, deep in prayer asking God to put sin to death, to make you humble. I think I've, I've always had three watchwords. I've written about these in various places, is that God would make me holy, humble, and faithful. And that's it. I pray, about, I pray for that every mm. single day of my life. Make me holy. Make me like your son, Jesus. Make me humble uh, because uh, uh, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Mm. I don't want God on the other side of my ministry. I want him on my side. Mm. Not, you know, I don't want him as my enemy. Uh, and and then to be faithful. And faithful is not the same as successful in the eyes of the world. Faithful may mean that you preach to 
uh, 20 people, 30 people, 40 people for 30 years. Um, Phil Newton, my friend who wrote the chapter you quoted earlier, planted a church in uh, near uh, outside Memphis 30 years ago. The church has never been more than 125, but he's been there week in and week out, preaching the word of God, uh, marrying them and burying them and counseling them. And so, uh, but but that's been possible because I know the, the kind of devotional life this man has had. And now you don't know that he doesn't talk about that, but it's it's. Uh, you know, it's there. And so he's a godly man, a humble man and a faithful man. And so that's that's, that's what I have prayed for and still pray for every single day. And if you're out there, you know, if you're listening, just pray for me, <laughs> pray for yeah, me, pray no, for pray, 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 pray that for your pastors. I mean, and, and I, I encourage my people, pray for us. Pray. Uh, I'm one of four elders in our church. I'm the, the lead pastor. It means I do most of the preaching. And and so I just say pray for us. Uh, again, Spurgeon. When someone asked him, "What's the key to all these, all this usefulness that you're, you have energy?" I mean, he's a very sickly man and uh, battle depression, all kinds of things. But he said, "Well, the key is very simple. My people pray for me." I mean, I think it's very simple. I, I, I don't think this is this isn't rocket science, or else I wouldn't be called to be a pastor because <laughs> mm. I'm not very good at math, uh, right. frankly. But uh, I think it's really just walking the Lord day in and day out, realizing. Uh, what you quoted earlier to be true, that you are a man in the middle of your own sanctification. You're a Christian. Yeah. And sometimes your, your people may not get that, but you need to continually, I continually tell my people that. I'm a man in the middle of my sanctification just mm. like you. Yeah, because if so, you don't uh, tell them, they'll figure it out pretty quick anyways, you know. Exactly. That's my line on I figure <laughs> I, I might as well get out in front of it and let everyone know. But Absolutely. Uh, you know, Jeff, um, one of the things I know the book deals with, um, J. Thomas writes on conflict. And, um, that is such a helpful thing mm. to have a seasoned veteran. You know, it's funny because I can't put myself in the, in the, in the seat of the young guy and say, you know, young guy like me, I like, you know, I'm, I'm 44. So I'm at the place now where I'm not young, but I'm not old. You know, I mm -hmm. guess I'm middle age. Hey, look, I coined a term, but, um, <laughs> but the reality is, is that, <laughs> but the reality is, you know, as I, as I, I like, I've all my life looked up to people that have, have been older than me, people that have, have gone further than I have. I don't relate at all to people that feel like they can't learn from guys. Oh, you're just old. I don't get that at all. That's never made sense to me. I learned from guys. We were talking about Spurgeon. I, uh, that guy, I feel like I know him, right? Lloyd mm -hmm. Jones, I feel he like should. he's my dad. You know, it's, it's, yep. you just, you. You, you feel like you've, these guys have walked with you already. That's the value of this. And you're introducing us to people we don't know, like your friend that where you're like, look, I know that guy's private spiritual, you know, I, I know his devotional life. Well, Jay Thomas comes out of the gate here talking about conflict, which all of us have to walk alone and it's never easy. Mm -hmm. One of the things he says, and I really like this, um, it's a very powerful quote. He says, I believe if you stick to the three-pronged approach of addressing conflict using the power and truth of the gospel to address it and aiming the full goal of love when you face an unusually potent level of conflict, the way forward will be more clear and there will be a lot less collateral damage to your soul, the church, mm -hmm. and the kingdom. Um, I mean, that's just solid gold right there. Mm -hmm. But Jeff, what, what have you learned as a seasoned veteran in, in this little gig we call ministry about conflict? And what advice would you give to our church planners? I think, I think first of all, you have to realize that you are, uh, you're a difficult person dealing with difficult people. 
like uh, because if, if I realize that I am an impatient man dealing with uh, someone in my church who's been impatient, uh, that just puts it on a different level. It puts us on the same level. It helps me to realize that I just what I, you know, we, we discussed a bit earlier that I'm they are Christian people in the middle of their sanctification, in the middle of it. They're not finished. They're not there yet. They're not yet glorified. That is yet future. We can be guilty of kind of an overrealized eschatology when we think that we've somehow arrived at all the answers. And uh, I, but I think you know approaching it that way, approaching it with humility, being careful how you talk to people, uh, and the words you use and how you use them, uh, because I mean there, there's a lot of uh, one of the things been convicting to me again. I get back to the paid talker notion is that uh, there's many many admonitions and warnings about our words in Scripture. And our attitude toward words and our attitude toward other people. And so I hope to take kind of a Philippians 2 attitude where Paul says, consider the other man better than yourself. If I go into a conflict, if I go into a handling conflict knowing that you know, I love this person, I'm in it for their good, I'm a difficult person too, you know, hopefully that's going to keep me from sort of taking the moral high ground of being self-righteous and you know, acting like I, I am the, I'm the bar which you have to measure up to. Uh, I, I grew up in some churches like that. But no, I'm not the bar. The pastor's not the bar. Jesus Christ is the bar. And none of us measure up. Uh, he, we're justified by faith alone. He had to measure up for us. Yeah. And I think as long as we keep that in mind, it will humble us. It will help us at least maybe not to, uh, you know, for our conflict to look like the Hindenburg every time we go into it yeah. to handle it, you know, and just explode uh, like uh, Hiroshima or Nagasaki or something like that. You know, it's funny. It's like you're saying that the gospel is applicable to every part of our life. Hey, you should write for the Gospel Coalition. <laughs> yeah, I imagine that. that that's right. And you, then, you, know, you might consider one? senior editor position. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'll, call, I'll, I'll let you put in a good word with those guys for me. <laughs> we'll do. We'll do. <laughs> hey, uh, you know, uh, so something we do every every episode. By, by the way, guys, just a reminder. The book is 15 Things Seminary Couldn't Teach Me. It is actually part of the Gospel Coalition series published by Crossway, and it's a new release. It's only come out March 31st, 2018. So, guys, definitely pick up a copy of this book. Um, you won't be sorry. Uh, some of these things are going to be at times like a life raft. Simply, and I can say that with confidence, simply because this book is going to point you, A, back to Christ, B, back to the principles of the Gospel, and it's going to go back to the heart of ministry. And that, hey, that's worth the price of admission. My guest today has been Jeff Robinson. Jeff, before we get you out of here, um, it's something we like to do. It's it's our last question of every interview, and our, our listeners definitely appreciate it. It changes. The question's the same, but the players change up every time. If you, Jeff, were to get in a physical fist fight with Tim Keller, who would win? <laughs> So, does everyone fight with Tim Keller, or is this just no, me? No, no, the players <laughs> change, so if I if I have some, you know, it's hard, because sometimes I have guys like Hugh Halter or Derwin Gray, and those are big dudes, so it's like, yeah. you know, I, I gotta, you know, I made one guy fight Billy Graham, but we had to agree, <laughs> because he was such a proponent of evangelism, it had to be like a much younger Billy Graham. You know, and this is before <laughs> Billy went to glory, but, um, don't think I'd make anyone fight Billy now that he's in glory, but, um, there, the, you know, the rules change up, the players change. Sometimes we make a heavyweight fight a lightweight, but we give them an edge. You know, yeah. some guys fight dirty. I can't deny it. Some, some of these guys, you know, they use tactics. Yeah. Yeah. Even Tim Keller, ding, ding. 
yeah, I, I, I get all that. I, I mean, by nature, I would be probably a, a you know, Texas cage match kind of guy, dirty, you know, got the brass, got the brass knuckles and the shorts. I, you know, I watch wrestling as we call it when I'm growing up, which is the, that's the real thing. That's not the stuff you do in high school and college. That's wrestling. And that's, that's, that's the fake stuff. But yeah, I, I think, but I think as competitive as I am, and I'm very competitive. Uh, I think I'd, I'd have to take a dive in this one and because Keller's my boss. Oh, <laughs> and yeah, so yeah. He's the president of TG. So, yeah, I, I think I would just have to – I would have to take a – which is totally against my nature, just a totally pacifistic approach and just say, you win, uh, Tim. And so I, that could be a tactic uh, in and of itself, like, but you wait <laughs> till you're not watching. I'm just saying. <laughs> well, Tim and I are both getting older, too, so I don't know. One of us might pull a hammy before they're – uh, the first punch was thrown. Well, so, uh, hey, I, man, I, he's he's Manhattan. He's New York. You know, you never know. It, yeah. Tim, Tim would be a formidable opponent. But I like your line of thinking. There's a little self-preservation in this. A That's little right. bit. Not going to overcommit on this. I'll, I'll I'll lay it down. But I'll live to fight another day. That works That's for right. me. But I That's knew right. with Texas there was going to be some smack coming, though. I I, I detect a little smack underneath. <laughs> You know, yeah, yeah, you know, like I said, but we, I, I love Tim and appreciate his work. So, <laughs> and, and I appreciate being able to eat and being gainfully employed. And my but children, you know, if he were on here, he would eat. totally kill you. He'd be like, Oh, yeah, I'd, I'd totally right. trounce <laughs> Jeff, man. See, there'd be none of these dynamics. So, I should have right. picked some, I should have put now. See, I can't pick Carson either. So, yeah, I'll have to no, rethink right. my strategy in future when I pair you up, but uh, yeah. would have been a big money fight. We'd so, Anyways, uh, <laughs> no doubt. Hey, stick to baseball. We're we're good. There. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I like. It. There's only a bench clearing ball brawl once in a while. And that's about it. So baseball's baseball's a, a much more a tactician's game. So I like that much better. I dig it, and I saw that <laughs> tactical play in action. So there you hey, go, guys. But again, I the book not. is Fifteen Things Seminary Couldn't Teach Me, and my guest is Jeffrey Robinson. Thanks a lot for coming on, Jeff. Thank you, Peyton. It's my pleasure to be here. Arnold, sign us out. Remember, if you are called to church planting, go hardcore or go home. Hey, I want to give a big shout out to our number one sponsor. They've been with us for years. I know them personally. Uh, the founder is Josh Henry. He is an ex-church planner. If you wonder why we have so much fun with SimplifyChurch.com's uh, ads, it's simply because we love these guys. We believe in them. I have used them Gosh, as a church planner, I found them and have been using them for donkey's years. And if you don't know, that means a really long time. So head on over to SimplifyChurch.com. They're going to help you do all the stuff that you need to do, but nobody taught you to do in seminary. Things like bookkeeping, uh, payroll, uh, you know, uh, dealing with the IRS, making sure you're compliant, sending end of year uh, donor receipts. If you haven't done that yet, tis the season. Uh, you have until the end of January to get those out to your people. So make sure you head on over to SimplifyChurch.com and let them simplify your church. You've been listening to Hardcore Church Planning. Hardcore Church Planning has been brought to you by the Church Planner Podcast and the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the App Store for both Apple and Android devices. If you like this episode, leave us a positive review. If you didn't like this episode, we'll be happy to give you your money back.